What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Lord, we do pray tonight that as we come to the feast of your word, Lord, that you would feed us as the hymn said, feed us till we want no more with more about Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, if you turn in your Bibles to the first chapter in, in John, first chapter in John, John chapter one, very easy to find. It's not like I ask you to find Obadiah or anything like that. It's John. So John chapter one there, and if you turn there, John chapter one, verse one, these remarkable uh, statements about the Lord where it says, John 1, 1, okay. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life, life was the light of men. You know, I wanted to start off by talking a little bit about what it's like to be raised in Judaism. Not, not what it's like to be born Jewish, but what it's like to be raised in Judaism in the midst of a very strong Jewish culture and heritage. And so if you asked me what it was like to be raised that way, or in other words, I would say because you know, what it was like meant to be Jewish, I would actually talk a lot about how being Jewish meant as a child having to sacrifice afternoons by going to not baseball, but Hebrew school, to learn this language that nobody speaks, as far as we were concerned, instead of playing baseball. I would talk about how being Jewish meant going to a Passover Seder, either in your house or in the house of someone else's home. I would talk about how being Jewish meant having Jewish friends and not having Gentile friends. I would talk about, about how being Jewish is not eating pork or lobster or crab or other good things, which of course I knew nothing about because I never ate them, right? <laughs> I would talk about how, how, I mean, I had a little friend, she was, I was little, I don't know what I was, like, seven or eight, something like that, a little friend, and she was a Gentile friend, and she lived up the hill from where we lived, and so I went over to her house one time, and I smelled this 
wonderful smell. I never smelled anything like that before. And I said, what is that? And, and they, they said, that's ham. I said, would you like some? So I kind of thought to myself, nobody here is Jewish. No one will know. So it didn't take much think, time to think, actually. I said, yes. And so she gave some ham. That, I'm, get, I'm telling you the truth. That is the most wonderful ham I have ever eaten. And I've eaten a lot of ham since then, but I've never had a ham like that before. I kind of felt like Eve, like my eyes were open. <laughs> and I thought, wow. And as I went out there, I'll tell you the truth. As I went out there, I fully expected lightning to come from sky and strike me dead. Because I was Jewish. So if you ask me to talk about what it means to be being Jewish, I would have said, well, it means not eating these things, but it means eating other things, Jewish foods, like, like kishka and latkes and kugel and hamantaschen and, and matzo ball soup and dill pickles and pastrami on rye, those kind of things, you know. I would talk about how being Jewish meant only dating Jewish girls and eventually getting married to a Jewish girl, which, of course, I failed at, but anyway. And I would talk about how being Jewish meant going to synagogue not every day, not every week, but on the high holidays in Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur with other Jews where you didn't eat and you didn't even drink on Yom Kippur for 24 hours. And I, I tell you what I would not talk about if you ask me about what it meant to be Jewish. I would not talk about how being Jewish had anything to do with God. No, no, no. I would not talk about how being Jewish had anything to do with the Bible. No, no. I would talk about how being Jewish meant to see Gentiles as Christians who killed Jews down through the centuries. I would talk about how being Jewish meant to, to suffer or, or to be a part of the people who suffered under the Crusaders who killed Jews and all the Crusaders were Christians. I would talk about how being Jewish meant to suffer under the Catholic Inquisition in Spain who killed, that killed Jews and how all the Catholic Inquisitioners were Christians. I would talk about how being Jewish meant to suffer under the, the Christian, Orthodox, Russian pogroms. And, and I'd talk about how being Jewish meant to suffer under the Lutheran and Catholic German Nazis who killed Jews. And so all the Lutherans and Catholics are Christians. And because of all these crusaders and the inquisitioners and the Orthodox Russian oppressors and the Nazis, because they were all Christians, I would talk about how being Jewish meant to not be a Christian. I mean, Jews are not Christians. Jews are killed by Christians. And because of all those killers of the Jews were all Christians who spoke about Jesus and they spoke about Christ and they spoke about Jesus Christ, I would talk about how being Jewish meant to never speak about Jesus and Christ and Jesus Christ because the killers of the Jews were Christians who spoke about Jesus Christ. And so I tell you that being Jewish meant to never believe that Jesus was anything more than a teacher. In fact, never even think about Jesus because of all those killers of the Jews were followers of Jesus, I would tell you that being Jewish meant to ignore Jesus, never think about Jesus was Jewish. Don't let think about that. I would tell you that, that being Jewish meant to identify with those people who were killed as brothers and sisters and see the killers as those who talked about Jesus before I was saved. I would have told you that being Jewish, I would have said, had nothing to do with who God was or if there was a God, had nothing to do with what the Bible means. I would have told you that the Bible is part of the holy books and the rabbis deal with that, not common Jews. I just would have talked mainly about the persecutions that the Jews suffered, and I would have said that we stand in solidarity with them. And so for these reasons, I would have told you that any consideration that Jesus is God is just out of the question for a person who's Jewish. I would have told you that the terms Jewish and Christians are opposites. 
because Christians kill Jews. So for a person to say he's a Jewish Christian is like a person saying he's a kind, loving Nazi. So they just don't go together. And this is what it, this is what it means for Jews to be Jewish. It means to not be a Christian. And that's why if you ask me, what was the final, what was the greatest, what was the most difficult obstacle for, for you to overcome to be saved, I'll tell you. I would tell you it was not whether or not Jesus was the Messiah. I didn't care about the Messiah. It was not whether or not Jesus died for my sins. Fine, he dies for my sins. But it was this truth that was the hardest for me. Jesus is God. And for a Jewish person, the hardest hurdle to overcome is to believe and embrace that Jesus is God. And I don't think that's just true of Jews. I think that's true for all people because I've told you before, Jews are just like all people, only more so. But this truth that Jesus is God is really the crux of what it means to be saved. This is the most important, the most important commandment in the Bible is in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. It's what's called, because it starts with the word here, which is the Hebrew word shema. It's called the shema in Hebrews 6, 4 and 5. And it starts off, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. That's the most important commandment in the Bible. It's a call to supreme love of God, a love of God with all the heart, a love of God with all the soul, a love of God with all the strength. And if Jesus is God, then this means to love Jesus as God with all the heart, to love Jesus as God with all the soul, to love Jesus as God with all the strength. And that Jesus is a part of what we believe. We believe that he's God. He's like a part of our statement of faith. And it goes along with all the other statements of faith, like the virgin birth and the fall and redemption of man. So yes, the deity of Christ. It's just something we believe as part of our evangelical statements of faith, our evangelical stand, the deity of Christ. But if, so if someone's to ask us, do you believe that Jesus is God? Of course we'd say, well, sure, the Bible teaches that. There's no challenge there. But to embrace the truth that Jesus is God is more than just to believe it. And it's these verses in the book of John that are written not just to provide us with a proof text that Jesus is God, the deity of Christ. They're written so that we can embrace this fact that Jesus is God. When it says things like in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. It's interesting to look at the book of John and to see where the point of history and so interesting to look at all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how they all start, from which point in history they start. I mean, you look at Matthew, and you see that Matthew starts with Abraham and goes forward. And you look at Mark, and Mark starts with Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, and moves forward. You look at the book of Luke, and you'll see that Luke starts with Herod and the Romans, the Romans, and moves forward. But John's different. John is different. The book of Genesis is different because those are the only two books in the Bible that start from the point of in the beginning, in the beginning. And with those words, we are immediately carried back to the, into the depths of eternity. In the beginning takes us back to a mysterious time, a mysterious time before there was time. I mean, in the beginning takes us back to a mysterious time before there was any creatures that were made. 
And there is a distinct difference, although, in the book of Genesis, that's, that it starts with in the beginning, and the history of John, the Gospel of John, that starts with in the beginning. When Genesis starts within the beginning, Genesis moves forward in time from that point to describe as it starts off in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and that's where we're moving in Genesis. We start from there in the beginning, and we move from that point in time. We move to a description of the creation of the earth and the heavens and the creation of light and the seas and the grasses and the herbs and the trees and, and the creation of the sun and the moon and the stars and life in the seas and life in the air, birds flying things, and life on earth, and finally, the creation of man. That's how we move from the book of Genesis. But the book of John when it starts from in the beginning, it doesn't move forward, it goes backwards. It says in the beginning, and then it tells us what existed in the beginning. And it gives us three statements about what existed in the beginning. And what, what existed, and the first statement is in the beginning, there was a person. There was a person, and his name is the Word. The Word, in the beginning was the Word. Who is this person? Who is called the Word? Why is that person called the Word? In the beginning was the Word. But then we look down further in verse 14, in John 1, 14. It's, it talks about the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This person, the Word was made flesh. This is how the book of John introduces this special person with the name of the Word. This is his name that is introduced to us in no other place in the Bible but in the book of John. This is so different from Matthew, where he starts off in Matthew 1.1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's so different from the book of Mark, where the first verse starts off in Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. It's so different from the book of Luke, where it builds up to, and then later in verse 31, there's an angel speaking and the angel says in verse 31, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, speaking to Mary, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. So in all of these other gospels, we're starting very much from Bethlehem. Bethlehem, but the book of John in verse 18, it talks about the only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father. So John's starting from the bosom of the father. And the book of John is the only one that uniquely introduces him with this totally different, unique name of the Word. And that makes us think, why is he called that? Why is he called the Word? What's the purpose of a word, of the Word? What's the concept behind Word? Well, we know that words communicate. I mean, I'm using words right now for, for communicate. Fortunately, you speak English, more or less. <laughs> Sorry. So we understand what I'm trying to say. Because words effectively communicate. And if I couldn't use words right now, but I just had to stand up here totally mute and kind of go through a charade game of trying to get you to understand, you would leave very quickly. That's just not going to work. Why? Because words are necessary to communicate. I'm trying to communicate. God communicates through words things that are unknown to us things that are unknown to us, like who is God? Like what is really this problem between man and God? I feel pretty good, but there's something missing, big void, emptiness in my heart. I know there's something missing, and God comes in with words and says, yes, I'll tell you what it is. 
There's a huge problem here. It's called sin. It's called offense. What you've done against me. You've sinned, not just sinned. You've sinned against the Lord. And then God comes in with words and he says, now here's a solution for this problem that exists between man and God. That means that no one can know God unless the word, unless words are used. And so therefore, when he is given the name of the word, this is so important because it's like it's telling us he is the communicator with God. Someone is to put it this way. Jesus is God's conversation with man. And, and so it says in Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27, Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, the Lord said, all things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Words reveal. He's called the Word because he reveals. Therefore, when you look at the Isaiah 53, it starts off and it looks like it says, wow, I wonder who believed our report. Kind of looking around. But then he said, no, I'm gonna go a little bit deeper. No, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? That's the issue here. It's all about revelation. And like we said in John 1.18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. He's made him known. The only person who knows God in person is the Lord Jesus and the people, the ones that the Lord Jesus reveals God to. That's why he's called the Word. He's the communicator of God to man. And the great purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ is to communicate from God to man. And all God wants to say is tied up in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he's called the Word. That's why when he came, everything changed as far as how God is communicating with man. Hebrews 1.1 marks out that change and happened when God communicates with man. When it says in Hebrews 1.1, God who at sundry times, different times, and in diverse manners, various different ways, it spake in time past under the fathers by the prophets. That's the past. Verse 2, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he's appointed heir of all things. So that means in the past, in the Old Testament, God used many, many ways to communicate with man with very different prophets, many different prophets, different ones. But the Lord Jesus is God's ultimate and direct means of communicating. That's why it's called the Word. And, as the, and in the Word, we see in the Lord Jesus the glory of God. He communicates the glory of God when it says in John 1.14, John 1.14, the Word was made flesh. The Word was made flesh. By the way, just a little side note here. Just so you know, that's my prayer. Before I get up to preach, that's my prayer. I say, Lord, make your word flesh. The word was made flesh. Anyway, it says about the Lord Jesus, the word was made flesh. He dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, so this is the first statement about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the, he's the communicator. And it says, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. It doesn't say, in the beginning is the Word. It doesn't say, in the beginning the Word began. It just says, in the beginning was the Word. Was the Word. And that shows that this person, whose name is the Word, always existed. There was never, you can't go back to a point in time when he didn't exist. There was never a time when this person who is called the Word never existed. He's eternal, which is why when Daniel saw him in Daniel 7, 9, 
Daniel said, I beheld till thrones were placed and one that was the ancient of days did sit. He saw him, he called him the ancient of days. He's everlasting, everlasting, he's eternal. And the second great statement that's made in John 1, 1 is that the word was with God. Now, this is telling us not just that he was hanging around God or with God in the sense of physically, but it's really an elaboration of what's talked about in Proverbs 8.22. In Proverbs 8.22, this is the word speaking when he says, the, word, the Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth when there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth, while as yet he had not made the earth nor the fields and the highest part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the death, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, I was by him as one brought up with him. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of earth. Now, this is not telling us that the word, who is the Lord Jesus, was just in the same place as God. It's telling us more than that. It's, this statement is telling us that the Lord Jesus is one with God. He is echad with God. And he's not only one with God, but that other word, he is united in agreement with God. He is yachad with God. Echad and yachad. So the statement is telling us that the Lord Jesus is one with God, and that's what he said in John 10.30, John 10.30, when he said, I and my Father are one. And this is it. And these are the three persons. These are the three persons in heaven. They are in a total 100% agreement and they are identified in 1 John 5, 8. 1 John 5, 8. These are three that bear witness in earth. The spirit, the water, the blood. These three agree in one. This is the same statement that the Shema is making in Deuteronomy 6, 4, when it said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel. Yehovah Eloheinu, the Lord our God's. Yehovah Echad, God is one. So the Lord Jesus is one with God in that aspect. He's one with God in his works, as he said in John 5, 17. But Jesus answered and said, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. I mean, this gets at the fact that the Lord Jesus is yachad, united in agreement with God. Remember how we saw this back in Genesis 22, that great truth that when Isaac knew and fully came to understand and had confirmation of it, that he or let me put it this way, that Abraham wanted him to be the sacrifice. Pretty shocking. And how it says in, in Genesis 22, in that chapter, when they're speaking about Abraham and Isaac, and after this is dawning on Isaac, twice it says in that chapter, they went, both of them together, they went yachad. They were in agreement. They were united. And the Lord Jesus was yachad. He was united with God in full agreement, even though it meant that God wanted him to be to be the sacrifice, just like Abraham wanted Isaac to be the sacrifice. And even so, the Lord Jesus was in agreement, yachad with God. He was one with God. He was one with God the Father to be the sacrifice for man's sins. And the Lord Jesus is one with God in honor also, as he said in John 5, 23, John 5, 23, that all men should honor the Son 
even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which has sent him. He's one with God when, in the sense that when you saw the Lord Jesus, you saw God. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.